Alright folks, welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, aka your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I'm a high school history teacher. I teach in the Los Angeles area. And Passing Period, this is something that we put out in between full episodes of All of the Above. Our show is primarily a video show and it takes time to edit all that video and get it up to our YouTube channel. So in between our full episodes, sometimes we drop these passing periods, which are audio only just for the podcast listeners. Um, Jeff, I do believe we have some new listeners this week. Do you want to quickly um, introduce yourself? Let them know who you are? Yeah, man. Well, I want to just welcome all of our new followers. We've had a, a flurry of activity in uh, the, the Twitterverse and the Facebookverse and all the verses um, over the last the couple of weeks. And uh, it's exciting because I think there's a lot of energy around people wanting to connect, collaborate, learn, grow around how we can address uh, issues of racial justice together, um, which is a good place to be coming out of quite a tragic moment in history. But, but I'm Jeffrey Garrett. Um, I am a former uh, middle and high school principal, former high school social studies teacher. And um, I, I met uh, Manuel here when we were uh, just baby teachers back in the day, getting our credential in, in Boston and, uh, you know, teaching the youths together out there. So um, uh, it's a pleasure to have all of our new guests with us and Let's enjoy the journey together. Indeed, indeed. So for this passing period, we wanted to talk about the response to the nationwide protests, um, the response that we've seen from schools and school districts across across the country. Now, anybody who's been paying any kind of attention has seen that unlike previous previous protests, so unlike Ferguson in 2014 and, and, and others, we are seeing a lot of corporations come out with statements in support of the protests and school districts have done the same. So many school districts, I don't know how many, but a lot of them have released statements in support of the protests and in support of what folks are protesting for, but many of these statements are I don't know, not that specific, I guess. So we wanted to have a little conversation about statements in support of these current protests that come in, in the wake of the, the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And we wanted to talk about sort of the, I don't know, what we think is one of the problems with the statements being somewhat, in my view, generic. So Jeff, what's, what, what statement should we, should we point to first? as we explore this idea of the importance of language in these statements? Yeah, I think, Manuel, I mean, there's certainly a lot to choose from. And, and the one we chose here is, is not chosen with, a, you know, with an intent to criticize this particular official or district, but really just to say, I think this is a great example of uh, the kind of statements we are seeing, both in the positive sense and in the so now what sense, right? So what we have here is a statement from two officials, uh, Nancy McGee, who's the San Mateo County Superintendent of Schools. San Mateo County, for those who don't know, is kind of up uh, in the Bay Area, Northern California, um, and from Hector Camacho Jr., who's president of the San Mateo Board of Education. And this statement came out on June 2nd. So I quote, in this call to action, we take responsibility for educating ourselves and others about the structures that perpetuate racism and oppression so we can work to change them. 
We will read, listen, and learn from those who have experienced these tragedies and who live with the fear and pain of racism every day. We will put that learning into action as we reevaluate how we teach, what we teach, and even how we conduct and finance schools. We will be intentional in rebuilding an education system that has harmed so many of our students for so many years. And to be clear, yes, our education system must change." End quote. Now, well, to me, that is a great choice for us to kind of root this conversation in because it is, it, it perfectly is emblematic of so many of the statements we've seen, I think. It is coming from a really good place, I think. It is concerned about what you know is happening. It is naming some of the issues in language that people don't often put into publicly released statements like racism and the fear and pain of racism, right? Um, so it's got some, some real strengths and it's got some stuff we need to talk about. So what's your take on this, Manuel? Yeah, and that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think this also is emblematic of teachers and what teachers are saying about these this current situation and, and how they want to do better in the fall. And that's why we're having this conversation here, because I think this is a, a, a moment for everybody to reflect on what they're saying and what they're committing themselves to versus, you know, what's not being said, what they're not committing themselves to. So in this statement, first of all, it, it does mention some things that I don't think we would have seen in statements, you know, four or five years ago. So um, structures that perpetuate yeah. racism and For oppression. Sure. That right there, I think that is a new feature of corporate statements regarding any sort of social unrest because I, I think even saying or admitting that there is structural racism and oppression is something that a lot of corporations and a lot of school districts um, wouldn't have felt comfortable doing in the past. But what we're seeing in this current movement is is a progression of the language being used. And to see that in statements, for one, is like, for me, kind of, I guess, um, I feel good about it because, wow, they're actually naming these things that used to be sort of like radical or, or progressive ideas that were, were too much for an organization to to put in its, in its uh, language. So, you know, part of me is kind of like, wow, they actually, yes, structural racism, perpetuate racism and oppression and fear and pain of racism. So they're admitting that, yes, racism is real, oppression is real, and it is causing pain. But what they're not doing is really saying anything specific that can be actionable. So it's become safe, in my view, to say things like systemic racism, to say injustice. Um, those, type, those, those sorts of phrases have become very, very um, safe to use now because all the organizations, all the corporations and, and districts are using them. So you could say that, but there's still um, absence of anything really specific. So this statement here, well, one thing that I do when I have been looking at statements and the statements have been pouring in for the last week and a half, um, one thing that I do is I pull up a statement and I hit control F and I type in white and I look to see if they mentioned white in anywhere in there. And if you're going to have a full statement about what's going on and you're not going to call out white supremacy specifically or white privilege specifically or white anything, then you already are totally ignoring a big giant factor in all of this, which is that all this pain, all this structural racism, all this oppression is in the service of America's history of white supremacy. So if you're not going to name that, then it's kind of hard, I think, for 
folks to really believe that you are really about this work and you're really out here to challenge something. So that's number one, like they're not naming sort of the roots of this or, or what's causing this. Um, secondly, like there's nothing in here that if I were, if I were a member of this particular school district and you know, my district's no different. My district had a statement that, you know, said all the right things without really saying a whole lot of um, specifics in there. Um, it's all super agreeable, but there's nothing that I could point to as a, okay, you know, in two months, I'm gonna come back to this and see what you've done about this. It's, there's no real commitment in there for anything specific. I didn't see in their statement any specific uh, reference to anti-black racism within their schools. I don't know how many black students they have. They may perfectly well be a school system with no black students at all, but that's, if anything, where it's even more important to challenge anti-black racism because those folks going through your school system, um, you know, they're going to be interacting with black folks out there in higher ed and in you know, often life. And if they haven't been taught about how to combat anti-blackness, then they are going to perpetuate it. So if the statement isn't saying anything specific about black students or, or anti-black racism in the curriculum or in the school policies, then that means that anti-black racism in the curriculum and in the school policies is going to continue to lay dormant or not dormant, continue to exist there. And, you know, nothing's going to be done about it. So Jeff, to me, this is a statement that says enough to sound like it is definitely on the side of the people without saying enough to hold itself accountable for future actions, if that makes any sense. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, from my perspective, being someone who, you know, has been a school district or sorry, a school site administrator and now works in kind of a quasi school district, administrative role, I do have some sympathy uh, for folks. And I want to make sure, you know, I'm not, um, you know, offering what we're about to offer here as just pure criticism of this particular statement. Because I think the reality is that, you know, the type of policy changes that we want to see are not things that are just going to happen with the snap of a finger and instantaneously, right? Like there, there does need to be some thoughtful process that goes into changing policy that makes our education systems less racist, right? Or anti-racist. And um, that actually addresses the longstanding inequities that, that are present in our system. So, so I think that's real and, and we should expect that. And on the other hand, I thought your observations were really smart about, you know, the, the sort of better way in which these types of statements name the issue, but also the kind of still incomplete way in which they, they address the issue. And I think in as much as I'm happy to see school boards, school districts, state officials, heck, even corporate folks are out there now talking about, you know, we recognize that racism is bad and, you know, that's why we're donating some money somewhere, you know, or whatever, right? Um, like, okay, I guess that's better than not doing that, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm hearing Janet Jackson in my, in my mind here, Manuel, and I'm, and I'm wondering, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> and I think that is the question we are going to need to continue to hold in our minds as we assess the, the implementation of the, of the newfound goodwill towards the causes of anti-racism and justice that, that, that have captivated the nation right now. And, uh, you know, it's funny, recently, uh, just this week, I was talking to one of our, our former guests, uh, Ryan Smith, 
um, who's the former head of EdTrust West um, and now works um, at the Partnership for Los Angeles Schools. And um, Ryan has had a saying for, for at least a, a couple years now that uh, you know, equity is kind of the new, the new buzzword in education. And he has said that it is like, uh, it's like coconut water. It's popular, it's everywhere. Everybody knows it's like supposed to be good for you, but nobody really knows, or most people don't really know like why and, and what, what it really is, right? And, um, and I was joking with him that I think anti-racist is gonna become the new coconut water, right? Like people are gonna start throwing around like, oh, we gotta be anti-racist. This is our anti-racist platform. Um, you know, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's book, you know, How to Be an Anti-Racist is like number one on Amazon. And like, that's great, right? And I am happy that that is the, the place where our collective attention is being focused. And the proof is really gonna be in the pudding, right? And, you know, if all we get is beautiful statements and then the same old stuff, um, you know, this is gonna be a real problem. And I'm, I am more hopeful in this moment, perhaps, than, than I have been at another point in, in my life, that maybe there's enough will and anger and outrage and sustained momentum to actually get these changes, right? Which are gonna involve things like redistribution of resources, which are gonna involve things like, um, you know, folks who have hoarded power not being able to have all the power unto themselves, right? Which is gonna involve things like defunding racist police departments and getting police out of schools, right? And doing things that change the order of things. Um, and that's gonna be difficult because entitled people are gonna push back and white folks are gonna push back and rich folks are gonna push back. Um, and so, I hope we're at an inflection point, and I hope that the words that we're seeing in these statements become the policy reality. Um, but I think our job now is to really make demands and hold folks accountable, um, and, and perhaps get back in the streets again um, when they don't, because let's be real, they are likely to, <laughs> be, to, uh, to come up with inadequate solutions in the beginning, right? Um, and we are going to have to have real accountability if we're going to actually enact these wonderful statements and something better. Yeah, I hope so. I definitely hope so. I mean, I think if anything, baby steps seems to be the way things go. And I think I said in the last passing period that I'm under no like you know illusions of of racism being solved in my lifetime, given how we are 400 years into this and still here. So baby steps, I guess. Um, but the thing about it for me is just thinking about all these teachers who are now committing themselves to learning more and reading these books and um, trying to do better. On the one hand, I'm very hopeful that that's a sign of movement in the right direction. Um, but on the other hand, it kind of just reminds me of like just how many folks haven't been really paying attention, you know, for so long. And it's just, um, it, it's disheartening for me as a black man to know that it took something like George Floyd having his life choked out of him for folks to realize like, oh wait, maybe this is a problem. When this, I mean, black folks have been saying this forever, like forever. So um, it's a little disheartening for me to, to see that it took this 
to w- awaken some folks. However, you know, it is what it is. Um, I'm very grateful for everybody who is devoting themselves to trying to do better and trying to learn. Uh, I'm very grateful for everybody who's committing themselves to be being a voice for uh, folks in, in their schools and in their school systems. I do want to, I guess, like second what you said last passing period, which is that, you know, this is work that needs to be done in um, those mostly white segregated schools. And I think there's a lot of educators, generally speaking, who teach in schools that have little to no black students who think like, well, that's not really an issue here. We don't have equity issues here. We don't even have a diverse student body. Everybody's just the same. And, you know, if anything, I think this needs to be a realization amongst folks that this is not the work of of black people to fix. Like something that uh, Bettina Love said in um, a webinar this week about abolitionist teaching was that, um, you know, it's just a reminder that black people didn't start this and it's not the job of black people to end it. This is something that white Americans need to step up and end. And that's why it's important to call out anti-black racism because, you know, for everyone that says, well, you know, it's not just black students and, uh, you know, it's not just about black students all the time being um, being marginalized. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, students of um, other backgrounds are marginalized as well, but it's all rooted in anti-blackness. Like that's the beginning of it. This racial hierarchy that we have in our country starts from a place of trying to have black people being held into a position of slavery with the justification that they are less than whites. So that anti-black root of our racial hierarchy is what needs to be attacked and dismantled for the betterment of everybody. So the only way to do that is for white folks to step up and dismantle this creation of their ancestors, I suppose, and to do it even when there aren't any black uh, students or families in their communities. And we know the reason why there aren't uh, black students and black families in certain communities is because of the history of uh, racial segregation in housing and uh, racist housing policies from, from lending to to selling. So, you know, and that's a whole nother element of systemic oppression that needs to be attacked. And I know for myself, one thing that I'm committing myself to when I hear somebody say something like systemic oppression is for me to ask them to name one of these systems that they are specifically talking about or committed to. Because to say systemic oppression or systemic racism now is safe and it's again vague enough to warrant or to not warrant any uh, particular follow-up or any particular um, demand for specific action. It's just like you could just throw it out there and it's it's safe to say and it sounds progressive and it sounds like you know what you're talking about. But if you can't name the actual structures, then forget about it. So when we talk about structural racism or systemic uh, racism in schools, you know, if you're a teacher who wants to commit yourself to, to dismantling that, then I want to see you act on the, the anti-black policies that are in your school. So something as simple as not allowing students to wear do-rags or something as simple as like writing students up for sagging pants, that's that's anti-black right there. That is, Those are things that have nothing to do with learning, that have nothing to do with the actual like content instruction, yet schools police students, particularly black students, on things as simple as their appearance. And that's an example of the structures that are there that continue to hold black students behind. And dismantling those structures helps all students for sure, but it's important to to name that these are anti-black 
at their root and at their core. And if a district can't name that, if a school can't name that, if an educator can't name that, then I can't have too much hope in things changing anytime soon. Yeah, that, that certainly resonates a lot, Manuel. And it is, it is both the, the naming Right, that brings the light to the to the heart of the issue. I think you're like control F for white uh, <laughs> in the articles, yeah. right? That like we're not going to tackle racism unless we tackle whiteness uh, is is uh, spot on. And also, you know, we're not going to tackle systemic oppression if we're using it as like a just a nebulous term that um, you know that doesn't actually name what those oppressions are, right? And we're not going to right. to tackle the racism that is killing black people unless we look at it, right? Um, and examine it. And as you were talking, it made me think of my earliest readings of some of uh, Bell Hooks's work, um, where where she would use, you know, this sort of like long, uh, exhausting in some cases phrase of like this intersectional capturing of all the issues, right? So she would say, and I'm sorry, I'm going to mess up exactly what she said right now, but it was like, you know, um, white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist, et cetera, you know, like naming all the issues as a phrase. And she used that like a hundred times in this, you know, in an article or whatever, right? And yeah. to a certain extent, you're like reading it over and over again, and, and you're like, you know, your brain does the thing where it it's like, okay, I'm I'm understanding what that concept is, and so I'm not going to like individually pick apart the pieces of it, and I'm gonna like situate it with the rest of the content that she's writing. But what is also brilliant about that is that is exactly what you're saying, right? It's like to actually grapple with these issues, we have to understand them. And we can't understand them without naming them. And there are many of them. And they work in concert with yeah. one another to create this thing called systemic oppression that we are trying to interrupt. Um, but, but we're not going to be successful in that process without actually like unpacking it, right? Um, and so, so yeah, we, you know, we, we obviously have tons of work to do. Um, and I hope, I, I genuinely hope <laughs> that the willingness for so many people to speak new language about racism and to speak new language about police violence and violence of the state towards specifically black people, but of course others, a lot of white folks getting hit with batons right now and gassed. Uh, and struck in the eye with rubber bullets too, right? And as they are experiencing oh, yeah. it and seeing it, that the the unavoidable truth uh, is what can catalyze us to some some real change, you know. So so we shall see. The coming months are going to be be very very telling, uh, especially because we're heading up to, you know, uh, an election. Man, yes, it's it's going to be a ride these next several months. I mean, the last several months have been. I mean, unimaginable. And the next several months, I cannot imagine. So, so yeah. And I'm extremely hopeful, and I just want to say it again, by the amount of educators who are committing themselves to trying to do better in one way or another. Um, and that's great. And I hope these educators continue to speak with their colleagues. And um, just a quick side note, if you are in a school or school system where there are very few Black educators, 
um, please do not lean on them to show you the way because it is exhausting. And, um, you know, my wife, she works in a predominantly non-black industry and there are a few black folks at her, uh, within her, um, her company. And she was quite exhausted this week, very exhausted. And it's just one of those things where it's very difficult to bear that burden, especially when the burden should not be yours to bear in the first place. So, um, so yeah, I just want to put that out there. And um, I believe that does it for this week's passing period, Jeff. Indeed, indeed. Uh, these are such crazy times, man. It's it is uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, and um, we have appreciated. I think a lot of the support folks in our audience have shown us and affirmation for the work, and uh, you know we we hope it's helpful because um, there's a lot of work to do, and and it must continue. So. Keep your head up out there, folks, and let's let's keep doing the work. Yeah. All right, folks, that, that's it for this week's passing period. Um, if you have not yet watched our or listened to our most recent full episode with Joe Truss, um, please check that out. That, that episode, um, we happen to record that before these uh, recent uh, protests and uprisings, but everything said there um, completely relates to, to our, our current state of affairs with regards to how do we go back to school in the fall and make sure that we are not just going back to uh, business as usual that harms students, um, especially those most most marginalized. So in that episode, we, we discuss going back to school, whether it be this fall or, or whatever, and um, having equity at the forefront in terms of making sure that we reimagine or recreate school in a way that's best that best serves students, um, especially those who have been most uh, historically marginalized. So definitely go back to that episode if you haven't um, check that out yet. And we will be with you exactly one week from now with a, another full episode, taking a look at recent headlines in education and doing a deep dive with a special guest on the neuroscience of learning when students are given the space and the voice and the choice and the power to um, take hold of their learning in the classroom. So definitely look out for that. And uh, please remember, rate us, review us, uh, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. But for now, get to class.